So when God has a purpose of election, it's all done in His justice, not His injustice. But as we go on, it says Paul's wanting us to know the purpose of God when he's talking about this passage of Scripture. And that purpose is that He is calling a people to Himself and we need to dive deeper so that we can understand God better. So what we're looking at in this scripture, we see in verse 9, he says, this is what the promise said. Remember, Paul had already told these Jews, he said, look, it's not all that Israel is going to be Israel, only those who are of the promise. Just because you have this heritage, just because you have Father Abraham as one of your descendants does not mean that you are truly saved. It does not mean that you are truly Israel. But he goes on and he begins to start saying in this, here's the promise. These are the ones, the people that are saved. And he says, this is the promise. Next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. So he pulls out the big guns. He talks about Abraham and Sarah. He says, it's not Ishmael. In this context, it's not Ishmael. It's not the child of the flesh. And remember, if you remember the story, Sarah gets a little impatient. She says, well, I haven't had a son yet. And so she gives to Abraham, her servant, who was from Egypt. They have a son. That was a child of the flesh. It was not the child of the promise. Who was the child of the promise? Well, Paul mentions it in verse 10. He said, not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, we are seeing that Isaac was the child of the promise. And it says, for the, though they were not yet born and had done either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told something. But let's first go back and understand this. This is what God is showing to us. According to His purpose, these things are happening. First, uh, chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. We went through that. Brother Philip preached on this at the time of my absence. But it says this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called... According to His purpose. There's that word again. According to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. We know and understand that the word foreknew means that those whom He foreloved before time, not the ones that He said, I look down into the corridor of time and see who's going to believe in me, and then I decide to elect them. That's not what that word means. It means forelove. He said, those whom he foreloved, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first one born among the brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. So when we look at the purpose in that chapter, the purpose of God in election is to save people whom He has called. That's part of that purpose. But we go on and we see that this purpose is a theme in Paul's writing. If you turn to Ephesians 
chapter 1. You can follow along with me. If you don't mind, this is what he says in Ephesians. We look at chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, when were we chosen? When were his elect chosen? Before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, it was in the purpose of God to call a people to himself. And he says this, he chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, there's that purpose, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What was his purpose? He predestined people before the foundation of the world. He predestined us because that was his purpose. And what was that purpose culminating in? He goes on. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11 says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, here it goes again, according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. We begin to see a theme in Paul. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of election? This is that it may stand, is that He is working out a purpose so that we who were the first hope to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when he, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, what do we see as God's purpose? Right? That all things are done will be according to what God says is going to be done. I know that's life changing, right? That's just obvious. All things are going to be done according to Him. Here is what He is saying. He receives counsel from no one. Understand, if we're going to know and understand God, we're going to boast in that. Here's what Paul is saying from the prophets, from the Old Testament, as he uses 15 references just in this chapter alone from the Old Testament, his biggest thing is to convince the people that he received that God receives counsel from no one. No one. The Ephesians says he did this according to the counsel of his will. He did not open your door. And he didn't. And when you opened up and said, you know, I'm contemplating certain things about the world. Uh, can I get your input on that? Didn't do that. Whatsoever. To anyone. He doesn't receive counsel from anyone. 
He rules. He reigns. He predestines. He calls. He justifies all from the counsel of His will. Now, what does that mean? Nothing determines how God works in the hearts of men but His own counsel. That's it. Nothing works in the heart of men but His own counsel. In other words, God does not look down the corridor of time to see who will believe and then applies grace to them. Because if that is so, that puts man as the determiner of his destiny. You heard of that, that old poem and that old saying that said, we're the captains of our salvation. Right? We're the captains of our soul. We're the captains of our destiny. No. You are not the determiner of that. God is. And so, if we say that He looks down the quarter of time, that's going to put man as a determiner instead of God. And it also says this, that God's hands are bound until the person decides to make Jesus his Lord. Folks, we don't, you understand this, we don't make Jesus to do anything. We don't, you know, it's almost like, Jesus, you need to save me. And I've got a gun right here. If you don't say anything, I'm going to blow your head off. No, we don't make Jesus do anything. We don't make Jesus our Lord. He is Lord. That's it. He is the Lord. And so, therefore, we need to understand this, that God is not bound to us and our counsel He's not bound that He's only going to act when we make this decision to move forward. It's not there. Folks, this is not the way that I was raised. This is not the way that I brought up. I was an enthusiastic 18-year-old when I was called into ministry. I was enthusiastic about it. I've been doing this a long time. I got involved in different evangelistic outreaches. And one of them is in 1979, Billy Graham came to Houston and I went through quote-unquote counselor training where in this, we were told that this was something that was prevalent. He was just kind of magnifying it. But when we would have revivals, some of us remember, you remember those old-time revivals that we'd have at church? We always had a revival week every Every year we had a revival week. People would come down and get saved, or they come down and we used to teach them and say they came down to redecorate their life. Rededicate their life. He said just redecorate your life. And they would come down. But then part of that training and those kind of things is that the counselors then would come up and, and, and they would train us and they say, Now guys, here's what we're going to do. When the music starts, you step forward and you come out. And you walk down the aisle because that's going to help other people make a decision for Christ. Or if you see someone that seems like they're under conviction, why don't you go up beside them and put your arm around them and say, do you need somebody to walk down the aisle with you? Come on, I'll go. I'll go with you. And basically what was happening is that we were singing songs that were saying things like this. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let Him come in? 
as if Jesus' hands were bound or Jesus was sitting in heavens, you know, so worried and so anxious. Oh, 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 oh I hope they choose me. Oh, I hope they do. I can't do anything until they do. You see what I'm saying to the Savior? That you're bound, binding Him that He doesn't move unless you move. Who puts, who's in control then? You are. That's why we mark over and over again. No, no, no. Paul says, here's the purpose of God in election, verse 11, that it might continue. That it might keep on going. It's been this way since the foundation of the earth. And it's going to continue. So the purpose of God in election is to save people whom He's called and that we would stand in awe of Him in glorious praise. That's why He does this, so that we would praise Him. If we go on in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You see the same kind of thing in Ephesians from the foundation of the world. But you also see that word mentioned works. And he says the same thing in verse 11. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. John Piper in his commentary on these verses says, this is how this breaks down. God's purpose is eternal. This is before the ages began from all eternity. His purpose is related to Christ. It says, you are saved. You gave us, which you gave us in Christ Jesus. This is what He did. He saved us. God's purpose is linked with grace because He says, because of His own purpose and grace, so it's linked together. His purpose is to exercise that grace. And then the fourth is the purpose of God rules out all works as the basis of His saving call. Notice what it says again. He saved us and called us with that holy calling, not according to our works, but Him who calls. Now, go back to Romans 9. We understand, and this is what he says. Remember verse 11, that though they were not yet born or had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him and cause, she was told the older should serve the younger. As it is written, God, I, I take up my love. Esau, I hated. I hated. Now, what is Paul saying? This whole purpose. To look at this. God's purpose is his free and sovereign choice to call those who have been predestined apart from anything they can do. Listen to what he says again. He says, the purpose of election might continue, not because of works. Now we understand this from Paul. Paul says this different times, that it's not our works that save us, it's our faith that saves us. Right? We respond to him in faith. But he doesn't mention faith in this passage at all. Listen to what he says. The purpose of election might continue not because of works, but because of Him who 
cause. So understand something about election, folks. Election basically says that God has chosen people from the foundation of the world to be saved, but they are some are not saved yet. It's when they exercise, when God opens the heart of the elect and they exercise that faith that we understand that justification comes. But in this particular context, it's not because of works, but of Him who calls. What comes first? It's the calling, the election, and the calling of God. That is the purpose of Him. This is what He's doing. It's His free choice. God does not tell them to believe and then He will call them but that He calls them in order that they will believe. And all this is done for the praise of His glorious grace. That's it. Understand this. The purpose of God in election continues even to this day. Now here's what I need to just share with you just real quickly. I want you to think about this. I hear people that will say to me, I just don't believe in that election stuff because it's just, it's it, it, it just unfair. And I hear that argument, but when you go back to the Old Testament, you remember just what he said, so that the purpose of election might continue. Where's it continuing from? It's continuing from the beginning of time. Think about this. Why did God choose Noah and his family to be the only one saved? What was he doing? He was choosing. He was electing. But I don't get any argument about that at all. People just assume, well, that's a big deal. Right? Then we go to Abraham. And out of all the people in the world, why did he choose Abraham instead of Abdullah? He chose Abraham. Abram, before he had the encounter with God, was a pagan. He was a pagan. You read the history of the people of that time, he was a pagan. God singled him out and elected him for a purpose. And then he chooses Isaac. Then he chooses Jacob. And you go through everything. Why, why did God settle upon the youngest son of Jesse? Because that was his purpose in election. Why did he choose Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah? And we go on and on. Because it was God's good will and counsel and purpose to do so. And nobody has any argument about that. But when we talk to people, then this time and this day, and we say, God has his elect, they go, no, 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 no. God doesn't do that. Well, he did it for years and eons. He was choosing. And he always been to choosing God. And it's going to continue that he's going to do that. And he has done that. And he's going to call his elect. I don't know why people get so upset about that when that's just the purpose and plan of God from the beginning. And so when we get to this and understand it, we need to know this is God's purpose. These things are going on because He's willed it to continue. And He will will it to continue. But remember, the whole point of this passage is this, 
Going back to verse 6, it says, But as though the word of God is not as though the word of God has failed. Remember, some of the people were accusing Paul and said, Well, no, if this is happening, not all of Israel is Israel. That means God's promises have failed. No, they haven't failed. God still has His purpose of election still in operation even to our day. I like this section was summed up. John Piper wrote a song to the tune of uh, uh, the solid rock. And, and the words say something like this, God's mighty word can never fail, though some be lost and saints be friends. There is a chosen Israel who cherished Christ and never fell. Then the chorus is, All the elect in Christ prevail. God's purpose stands. It cannot fail. God's purpose stands. It cannot fail. Then he says, Oh, be not proud of ethnic roots or rest your hope on human fruits. Let no one boast in flesh and bones. God makes his offspring out of stone. Let me learn. He says, All the elect in Christ prevail. God's purpose stands. It cannot fail. God's purpose stands. It cannot fail. It's a great song, though. And that's exactly what's going on here today. God's purpose stands. Then he goes on, and I'll just kind of touch on this, and we'll get into the full meaning of this next week, and talking about five different ways that God loves. But notice what he says. He says, in order, that the purpose of election may continue, not because of work, but because of him cause. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I have hated. Now understand this. As you go back and stuff, it says this. No works were done because before they were born. Before they had not done nothing, either good or bad. She was told. The older were so him. Where'd she get that? Well, some entities that there was an Italian prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Malachi. <laughs> but it's actually Malachi. And it says in Malachi chapter 1, it says the oracle of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, the Lord's love for Israel says this, I have loved you. God has talked to Israel. He says, but you say, how have you loved us? He says, the Lord now says this, is not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. In other words, aren't both of these brothers on the same plane right now? Aren't one's a brother, one's a brother? No difference here. Brothers. But he says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says... We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. 
your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So when we're talking about this love, Jacob, I've loved, Esau, I've hated. Paul is quoting something here from the book of Malachi that basically says this, here is Esau. I have laid his land and country to waste. Why? Because it's a wicked country. And because of his wickedness, the Lord is angry forever. Understand, people, that every one of us, including Jacob and Esau, were descendants of Adam. When Adam fell, the whole human race fell. Jacob and Esau both had a sin nature. They were wicked. As well as they were the whole world. If you don't think Jacob was wicked, go read that again in the Old Testament. Remember, he was called heel catcher. He came out, you know, had a hold of Esau's heel. You know, that means he is a tripper. He is a deceiver. If you read that, you will see that he was one who was absolutely deceptive in the things that he did, lying to his father even, to be able to get these blessings, tricking and trading for his birthright from Esau. And so what happens is, you've got two sinners, God chose one, and bypassed the other. Why? It says, because of their wickedness, sin nature that was in within them, they got what they deserved. Jacob did not deserve the grace of the Lord. But what did he get? Grace anyway. And grace comes on undeserving people constantly if they are the elect of God. Now, we'll get into front of this further. We will talk about what does that mean next week as we get in this and we begin to answer this argument. What Paul does, he says, is there any injustice with God? Because he loved one and he hated the other. What does it mean by that? Does God love him more and love Esau less? Is that what that means? Is he just talking about just his actions? Or does he actually hate? Because we have to see and look at things like Psalm 5. It says that arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. Okay, It's not one of those things that it says God hates the sin but loves the sinner. We need to understand this and get ready for this. Get your mind to wrap around this kind of thing. It says that God hates all who do wrong. That's not hating the sin. At all. It is people that go to hell. It is people who deserve just condemnation. And it's only by the grace of God that anyone gets to be saved at all. That's what we need to learn and take from this. But here's the practical application. Just real quickly. Okay? Here it is. 
if we are called to be still and know that God is God, we are to be boast in that we know and to understand Him. We need to understand this about God. That salvation is all about God. We get the fruits of it. We get the fruits of it. We need to understand that He is free, free to choose whom He wants to choose. And we'll learn that. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And He will give salvation to whom He has chosen. And one of the reasons He has done that is so that He gets praise, not you. He gets the praise, not you. I was reunited with a classmate several years ago. We were in first grade through fifth grade together. We were in junior high together. We played football together. Uh, there was only one year that he went to another school, uh, freshman year of high school, but then he came over to join our high school. We knew each other. We were, we were buddies. And then I lost, I lost uh, touch with him. Somehow we got back in touch several years ago and we went over to his house to visit with him and his wife. And as we were talking with him, he began to start saying, I said, Kevin, and we talked about salvation with his wife and we talked about this and that. And he said, you know, I did that. I said, you did what? He said, I was the one that caused my salvation. I said, excuse me, I was the one that caused my salvation. I was the one that got up and went to church. I was the one that heard the gospel. I was the one that made that decision. I caused my salvation. And I said, no, brother, no, you didn't. That if you are saved, it's because God has chosen you to be saved. And it should be to the praise of His glory. Oh, I get that. But I did this first. Just couldn't wrap his mind around that kind of thing. Folks, when you have that kind of understanding, you've got to reason within yourself, what made you so smart? Made you get up and go to church? Why is, is it if your neighbor sitting here has been presenting the gospel and you've been presenting the gospel and you believed in the gospel and your neighbor did not believe in the gospel when it was presented to him, what makes what does that make you? I guess you're smarter than your name. Huh? No. We have the gospel. Because before the foundation of the world, this was the purpose of God in election. And it continues. So what do we do? Practical application. You ready? We don't walk around in pride. We don't walk around saying, I'm saved, you're not saved. We walk in absolute humility, giving God praise that He would actually redeem and save someone like ourselves. If you just look at your neighbor, look at your spouse. Look at the person sitting by you in the pew. Why in the world would God save them? It was after the council of his will. He said, it's to my praise and to my glory. So when we look, we only bow before God and we say, thank you, Lord, that you've considered it in your counsel to grant me salvation. And we bow and we walk in humility. We don't exalt ourselves because if we exalt ourselves, what happens? He brings us love.
go low, he brings us up. So therefore, the practical application is just simple. When you consider your salvation, pray forth and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given to us to look at your word. We thank you for the blessings of your word. We thank you that you're continuing to fulfill the promise it has not failed. And we thank you for it. So, Lord, as we go from this place to give praise to your name, may we share the good news with others so that they may too understand and know you. Ask it in Jesus' name.